Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Why Care? For those of you just joining us, this is the podcast where we discuss current day issues and events, and ultimately how they impact the teenage population. Our main goal is to answer the age-old question, Why Care? This is episode four of our series, and in this episode, we will talk about the genocide going on in Xinjiang, China, right now. For those of you who are unaware, there's a genocide happening right now against the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, China. The Chinese government is sending them to re-education centers, or camps, to reform them. This genocide began in 2017 and has not gotten very much media attention until now. Before we get into the current day events of this genocide, we would like to discuss who the Uyghur people are and why they're being persecuted. The Uyghur Muslims are a Turkic-speaking people of interior Asia who are considered to be one of China's 55 ethnic minorities. However, some of the Muslims' beliefs are contradictory to the Chinese government, and therefore Xi Jinping, the Chinese dictator, has decided to force the Uyghur Muslims to go through a re-education process and basically deny them of continuing their religious beliefs. In this podcast, we'll be mentioning a lot of Chinese or different ethnic names. And Jackson and I are both fluent in English, so we don't know how to speak Chinese. I'm really sorry if we mispronounce everything, but we are trying our hardest. I think now would be also be a good point to um, put in that this, um, ep- this podcast, more than any, we're going to be using a lot of primary sources of actual accounts of what's happening in this genocide because we really believe that the only way for you to understand the kind of the magnitude of what's actually happening in China right now is to actually hear it from the victims and people themselves. themselves. According to the Human Rights Watch, Chinese government closely monitors all the Xinjiang citizens. It keeps such a close eye because they are looking for any excuse to bring in a Uyghur. They have countless checkpoints, closed circuit cameras with face recognition, spyware that the police require some Uyghurs people to install on their phones and Wi-Fi sniffers that collect identifying data off of smartphones and computers. Police and other authorities use a mobile app to run background checks and communicate with IJOP in real time. These programs collect and interpret data without regard to privacy and flag ordinary people for investigation based on seemingly innocuous criteria such as daily prayer, travel abroad, and frequently using the back door of their homes. News organizations are even reporting that officials were confiscating the passports of Xinjiang's Uyghur population. But more important than that is the psychological effects of people living under this invasive power. Xinjiang lives in fear and in terror since their neighbors keep disappearing based on the workings of unknown algorithms. Over a seven-day period in 2017, 15,683 Xinjiang residents were rounded up and placed in internment camps. We found some sources that highlight how strict these camps were, and we asked some of our fellow students to speak these interviews, and you'll hear them in a moment to learn how guards were in such a tight ship. So there were around 200 detainees on each floor. In total, there were approximately 800 detainees and more than 50 police officers in each building. Yes, when I was there, there were 234 police officers. When the detainees sit together, are they allowed to talk to one another? No. What about when they are in their dorm rooms? They are under constant surveillance. We watch them via closed-circuit cameras, with two in each room. So, if they speak, what is the punishment they receive? Usually, we give them a warning first, but then order them to stand for between 15 minutes to half an hour. Are there any strict requirements regarding the the positioning of detainees' hands when in class or in the dorm rooms? When they're in class, their hands must be placed on their desks. When in the dorm rooms, they must place their hands on their knees or on their notebooks. What would happen if their hands are in their pockets or at their side? 
We give them a warning before ordering them to stand as a punishment. When they go to the toilet, do they have to ask for permission? They must ask for permission. From who do they ask permission? From someone in the room or a police officer? They will raise their hand looking at the camera. We will then give them permission. Are you able to observe inside the toilet with the, with the cameras? Yes, we can observe the toilet with cameras. How do you check if they are sleeping or not? There are cameras fixed above the door at approximately two meters high. They point across the room towards the window so we can monitor the movement of people. If there, if there are siblings or relatives sent to the same camp, do you arrange for them to share some dormitory or do you separate them? We separate them into different buildings or onto different floors. Normally, we try to allocate them to different buildings, but in cases where there are too many members of the same family, we separate them onto different floors. Are they allowed to be visited by their family? They are allowed to speak to their families once a week by telephone and via video link once a month. When they communicate with their family, what are the terms and conditions imposed at the meeting? Do you tell them what they can, do, can and cannot do? We warn them to not to use sensitive words. What do you mean by sensitive words? What kind of words are deemed to be sensitive? For example, we tell them when the call is over, you should say goodbye and nothing more. What can they say then? How are you? What would happen if they say, Assalamu alaikum. What is the punishment? Since we warned them repeatedly, nobody uses such greetings. I never heard of anyone using such terms or being punished as a result. When you warn them, what do you tell them the punishment would be? We tell them that they would be banned from seeing their family again. What do you recommend the detainees say to their families? Do you tell them to say positive things about the camp, such as how good the food is and how they are receiving a good education and moving in the right direction? We first ask them what they think about the camp. They normally express their gratitude to us. So we tell them, when you see your family, you must not cry. Otherwise, they will think that you are going through hardship. You must tell them with a smile that because of your own wrongdoings, you are taking part in re-education. Say to them, I am studying laws and regulations, as well as the national standard language, Mandarin Chinese. In order to liberate my mind, I am studying. When I go out from here, I will be a better person. We make sure they can convincingly, convincingly tell us that they are well treated in the camp before they can have contact with their families. Before we get into some eyewitness reports of the genocide, I think it is beneficial to understand exactly what a genocide is and what criteria it must meet to be officially declared a genocide. After the Holocaust, the United Nations wanted to ensure that something like this would never happen again. As we all know, this plan obviously failed since there have been multiple genocides, but because of their mindset at the time, they created... In the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethical, racial, or religious group such as killing members of the group, causing serious bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. China's dictator, Xing Jinping, has made several speeches regarding the Uyghur population, and here are some of his most important ones. In a confidential speech made to the top-ranking officials in the Chinese government, Jinping says, we must be as harsh as them and show absolutely no mercy. He adds that it would require a period of painful, interventionary treatment. The psychological impact of extremist religious thoughts on people must never be underestimated. Mr. Zing told officials in 
Yongkui on April 30th, 2014, the final day to his trip to Xinjiang. Xi Jinping has made it very clear that he wants these people gone. He obviously wants to eradicate the Uyghur population and will do anything to do it. If these speeches weren't enough, just recently, 403 pages of confidential documents about the genocide were leaked. They are called the China Cables. In them were instructions to officials as to what to say to students or family members when they couldn't find their loved ones. Here are some of the most haunting passages. Your family member has been sent to study because they have come under a degree of harmful influence in religious extremism and violent terror thoughts. If at some point the three forces, or people with ulterior motives, incited or bewitched them, the consequences would be severe. If they came under the sway of extremist ideas and the three forces and did something that they shouldn't do, they would injure not just innocent members of society, but also themselves and other family members, relatives, and friends, including you. I don't think that's something you would ever want to see happen. In this passage, the phrase three forces refers to extremism, terrorism, and religious extremism. It seems as though the Chinese government is trying to convince their citizens that the Uyghur population are terrorists and will cause them harm. In this next passage, we discover the response to questions about why family members can't leave the compounds. The guard's response is that they will never be able to thoroughly eradicate the stubborn cancer in their thinking and could easily be swindled and exploited by criminal organizations and the three forces to break the law. As you can see, several times in the speeches and the leaked documents from Xing Jinping, the Uyghur population is referenced as religious extremists or terrorists. It seems as though the Chinese government is justifying this genocide by classifying the victims as terrorists. This is simply untrue. Within any population, there will be extremists, and they may do things that anger the government that may be violent. However, these people do not make up the entire religious group guilty of extremist thoughts. Every group of people will have some people who will do something bad. Assuming it is the entire population is simply wrong. Furthermore, the Uyghur population specifically has committed very few incidents in the past. Most of these people are just trying to make a life for themselves in China, and after such a long time of undisturbed peace, suddenly they are being uprooted again. A large number of the Han Chinese have been moving to Xinjiang and starting to change the Uyghur way of life. Xing Jinping needs to realize that the Uyghur people have no reason to be convicted of these atrocities, and no one deserves to be treated the way they are being treated, and in no way deserves to be convicted as terrorists and sentenced to quote-unquote re-education. Now that we understand what China calls re-education of terrorists is simply a mass genocide of innocent civilians, I believe it would be a good time to hear from the victims that have managed to escape from the genocide. First, we will hear from Saragol Satubai. She was a prisoner at the camp and also had to teach there. After escaping these cruel camps, she describes chilling accounts of what took place in her testimony. She was able to reside in Sweden, which is how she's able to tell us her testimony. She told, tells us that cameras appeared in every public space. The security forces stepped up their presence. At one stage, DNA samples were taken from all members of minorities in the region, and our telephone SIM cards were taken from us. It's said there, meaning the camps, that if I did not fulfill my task or I did not obey the rules, I would get the death penalty. The document stated that it was forbidden to speak with the prisoners, forbidden to laugh, forbidden to cry, and forbidden to answer questions from anyone. I signed because I had no choice. There were cameras in their rooms, too, and also in the quarter. Each room had a plastic bucket for a toilet. Every prisoner was given two minutes a day to use a toilet, and the bucket was emptied only once a day. If it filled up, you had to wait until the next day. 
Satobai also describes prisoners forced to praise communism, China, and above all, Xing Jinping. Basically, they were all being brainwashed. Next, we found accounts from Fatima Abdul Ghaffer's testimony, and she states that almost everything could be considered a sin, from observing religious practices and not knowing the Chinese language or culture. There were all kinds of tortures there. Some prisoners were hung on the wall and beaten with electrified truncheons. There were prisoners who were made to sit on a chair of nails. I saw people return from that room covered in blood. Some came back without fingernails. In addition to physical torture, the guards also forced prisoners to take mysterious medications for no apparent reason. Fatima explains that. The pills had different kinds of effects. Some prisoners were cognitively weakened, women stopped getting their period, and men became sterile. She also said that they are forced to drink alcohol and eat pork inside the camps. All Islamic practices are prohibited, such as praying, reading the Quran, or fasting during the month of Ramadan. They have to praise communism and President Xi Jinping only. And drinking alcohol and eating pork is against their religion. And the Chinese know this, and that's why they're forcing them to drink alcohol and eat pork. Another person that we found accounts from was Rushen Abbas. She wrote a testimony giving us opinions that directly relate to the UN definition of genocide we talked about earlier. Here are a few. If something is not done, an entire generation may be deprived of their ancestral language, culture, and ethnic identity. Along with the re-education and weird medical testing, there's also organ harvesting. The NBC report on China's organ harvesting says, The organs of members, marginalized groups detained in Chinese prison camps, are being forcefully harvested, sometimes when patients are still alive. And on account of Dr. Enver Tohiti told us of how a surgeon in China, he had been required to perform organ extractions, referring to one instance when he extracted an organ from a living patient. He said, what I recall is with my scalpel, I tried to cut his skin. There is blood to be seen. That indicates that the heart was still beating. At the same time, he was trying to resist my insertion, but he was too weak. As we said earlier in the podcast, the people have had to have physical exams, and Experts report that only reasonable explanation for these examinations was to ensure that victims' organs were healthy and fit for transplantation. It added, this article added, a healthier liver, for example, can be sold for some $160,000. Now that you are informed as to what actually happens inside the camps, it is very easy to relate that information back to the UN definition of genocide. One of the criteria is causing seriously bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group. With all the accounts of torture and religious reformation, it is very easy to see how this genocide meets this piece. Another part of the definition that is similar to the last is deliberately inflicting on the whole group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Obviously, the hours spent reforming, the mere minutes to use the bathroom, constant surveillance, and simply the torture of innocent people falls into that category. Finally, the definition also talks about imposing measures intended to prevent thirds within the group. When the officials are forcing prisoners to take unknown medications and forcing both men and women to become sterilized, there will be no future births from those individuals. If something isn't done, there will be no more weaker people. Why care? The people of 1945 addressed this problem by saying never again. The people of 2019 are dealing with the same problem. Why care? This is a mass genocide of an entire population happening right now. Why care? You can do your part by spreading awareness and hopefully stopping this from continuing further. Why care? This is not the first genocide during your lifetime, but it had the possibility to be the last. 
Why care? The Uyghur population is having their religion exterminated, their people tortured, their people being tested on, and having their organs harvested. And there's something you can do to help. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to those who participated in our survey and posted on their stories. We are so grateful for your support and for everyone's support. More platforms in which to support us include Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, with all of our handles being at YCarePodcast, all lowercase. Also, feel free to email us with any feedback at YCarePodcast at gmail.com. We would love to know what you want to hear about next. Thank you as well to our information sources. For specific sources, please see the description below.